What's your relationship with the various technological things that you have to use? My relationship is one of an open bag of jalapeno kettle chips in my pocket all the time. If those chips are in my pocket, I'm going to be eating those chips. And even when I'm full, if I get bored, I'm going to go for those chips. So I got to figure out ways to get the chips out of my pocket. And that has become my relationship with technology. Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. I'm Steve Magnus, joined as always by Brad Stolberg. Brad, what's going on, my man? You know, another another morning recording with you, another good day at the gym. Um, can't really complain. Uh, feeling very fortunate. Things are things are pretty good over here. I'm excited to um, to to start to talk more about a big growth equation project that y'all will be hearing more about as the year goes on. But I guess I can't talk more about it yet. So that's all I'm going to say for now. What is that tease, Brad? Man, you're just teasing it up. Well, you know what? For listeners, if you want to be the first to hear about whatever Brad is, you know, talking about, best way to do it, go join our Patreon community. If you join it, you get access to all sorts of cool stuff, book clubs, you know, fun stuff like that. And you support our work, our show, our newsletter, everything about it. So head on over to patreon.com slash the growth equation. And you might just find out what Brad is teasing sooner than you think. The other way that you can support us is to pick up or get on Audible or Libro or whatever app you use to listen to books, a copy of our most recent books. The Practice of Groundedness by yours truly, and Do Hard Things by Steve. All right. So with that being said, let's dive into this week's topic, which is kind of an extension of last week's podcast. If you haven't listened to that one, which we kind of talked about cheap dopamine versus lasting satisfaction, this week we're going to talk about the purveyor of that cheap dopamine, which is technology. And we're going to kind of elucidate how that, you know, both of us use technology because we're not, you know, we're not Amish. We're not off, off of the technology bandwagon. We have social media. We have a newsletter. You're listening to this podcast. If we didn't use technology, we'd, uh, probably be out of a job and our uh, our wives would be complaining about how we don't do anything. So we're going to kind of talk about how we balance that out and don't get lost in a technology overload or cheap dopamine world. Not Amish, but um, maybe we ought to be Amish. Maybe Maybe life would be simpler that way. Who can say? You know, I was reading something, don't quote me on this, because I didn't get to read the studies, but apparently the the, depre- the depression rate among Amish is surprisingly low, even taking into account the likelihood of getting checked or what have you. So maybe maybe they've got it figured out. What does getting checked mean? Is that like I mean, getting caught using technology? No, I mean, not getting checked. I mean, despite 
the propensity to not see modern doctors so there would be a lower rate of depression for not checking it out. That's what I Yeah, think. that's probably a tough thing to control for. Yep. But they got that community and they're not on Twitter. So working in both directions. Um, okay, sorry. We got off a little bit on our Amish friends. Technology, the purveyor of dopamine, the war on drugs, right? You went after the users, not the suppliers. And what did it get? Got us a huge mass incarceration problem and no real meaningful decrease in drugs. So recently, in the last two decades, it kind of switched to going after the supply. And what's happened? Not a lot of good change. Turns out it's really hard to crack down on drugs. There's always going to be a market of people that want them, and there will always be a market of, or excuse me, a market of people that produce them. So let's switch it to ultra-processed food. Same thing. Very hard to tell people not to eat ultra-processed food if you live in an environment where ultra-processed food is everywhere. Ultra-processed content, a term that we coined last week. Same deal. Hard to tell people not to engage in the modern internet when, I don't know, in the knowledge economy, 80 to 90 to 95% of work and commerce occurs on it. Even if you're not in the knowledge economy, if you want to get a taxi, it's probably an Uber or a Lyft. Uh, if you want to clock into your hourly job, probably an app for that. So we're all kind of plugged in and telling people not to use technology probably will have a very similar effect as telling people don't use drugs. It's bad for you. You know, education helps, but it's really hard. Good luck trying to regulate the big tech companies. I think that we're going to see more of that. It's the first thing that I've agreed with the current Republican party on in ages is their stringent push to regulate the use of social media in teens. I actually think that's a pretty good idea in most cases, but I think it's a long shot for widespread adoption of a healthy social media and internet ecosystem. So we're back to the war on drugs, the war on technology. It's kind of on us to figure out for ourselves, for our families, for our workplaces, how we want to use technology is a tool in a way that ideally it helps us more than it hurts us. And that's what we're going to talk about today. All right. So before we get to us, I just want to mention this because you kind of hinted at it. There was a wonderful study that actually uh, Jonathan Haidt uh, talked about in his uh, newsletter where it was the age in which teens were given or children were given cell phones, smartphones. And there was a surprisingly high correlation with the earlier you gave kids smartphones, the worse off their mental health was in their late teens into their 20s, especially for girls. It impacted both, but especially for girls. So as we look at technology and smartphones and all that, like one of the places to start with is like with your children as do the best you can to hold off or minimize, you know, get your kids the jitterbug phone, not the, uh, not the new newest, latest iPhone. So we'll, we'll start there. But anyways, I, I just thought that was pertinent, but I, I think for, ourselves, you know, I'm curious because I know you've experimented with this a lot. So I'm going to pitch it over to you, Brad, is what's your relationship with the various technological things that you have to use? My relationship is one of an 
open bag of jalapeno kettle chips in my pocket all the time. If those chips are in my pocket, I'm going to be eating those chips. And even when I'm full, if I get bored, I'm going to go for those chips. So I got to figure out ways to get the chips out of my pocket. And that has become my relationship with technology. So what does that mean? It means that I have a digital Sabbath, which I've talked about on this podcast before, where every Saturday morning around 9 a.m., I put my phone and my computer away, and I don't take them out until Sunday morning. At the start of this, my wife, Caitlin, had to hide my phone and computer because I was that much of a junkie. And um, now I do it myself, and I actually really look forward to Saturday. And once I put them in a drawer, I really you know, have some urges, I guess, to, to go get them, but they're not strong. I have no problem riding them out. I got a jitterbug phone for emergencies, and because the goal isn't to not be able to like call my brother or Steve and have a meaningful conversation, the goal is not to get caught up in these cheap dopamine loops of checking and staying informed on the news and posting and looking at retweets and likes and comments and emails and all that good stuff, as Steve would say. Um, during the week, I've just become more aware of, is this an activity that I want to have a device on my person? And if so, why? And if the answer is no, I don't have the device on my person. So going outside to do anything with my kids, 99, I'm lying, 95% of the time, the phone stays inside. Uh, Working on a book project or an article or a newsletter, 90% of the time, the phone's in the other room. So really trying to use the phone in the computer with intention and not just have it there like that open bag of chips. So that's how I'm going about it. I think it's important before we hear how you manage it to also talk about all the positives just for a second, because it's not all bad. If it was, we wouldn't be on the internet. So for us, we sell 90% of our books through the internet. That number is probably higher because most people that go and support independent bookstores and brick and mortar bookstores, they probably first hear about our books on the internet. If you're listening to this podcast right now, you're doing it through an app that is on the internet. Um, the biggest pieces that we've written that have changed or at least on a good day influenced the discourse culturally on important topics have been mediated through publications like the Atlantic or the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. They're all on the internet. Um, Steve and I met almost a decade ago on the internet. So it's not all bad. I don't think that I'd be happier if I lived in an Amish community. I think that it has the potential to get bad if we don't use these tools with a lot of intention. Absolutely. I think that's a good summary of of the good stuff. I mean, I don't want to discount it because you hear a lot of the negative, but it's also a great place to get ideas and connect with other people. I mean, you mentioned we met so many of our colleagues who have become friends or people we can turn to met on the internet, you know, to a degree we have, you know, Brad and I have a gosh, longstanding email group that, you know, has been going on for, I don't know, seven, eight years that wouldn't exist if we 
didn't have the internet. And that's a, again, a small maybe community that I think both that adds value to both of our lives. So there's many instances of that. And I think that's worth calling it out. I think what we're trying to do is frame it. How do we get the good stuff? You know, how do we get the connecting with others? How do we get the ability to, you know, see all sorts of information and research and sort through things and have utilize experts and connect with experts and just get good information and good people who we wouldn't know existed if this was, you know, the 1980s and maybe the only way you existed, you know, or spread your ideas was through a book that you hope someone stumbled across at the bookstore or library. So how do we take the good stuff while leaving the bad stuff? And I think that's what I took away from hearing your kind of process to do that. And mine is in a lot of ways similar, which is, you know, some own twists for my own life. I mean, I start with it as I don't take a Sabbath. Maybe I should, but Instead, what I do is I'm very deliberate on not taking my phone to places where I don't need it or don't want it. So what does that include? Whenever I walk the dog, whenever I go outside with my wife or go on a walk with my wife, there is no, I never take the phone, ever. Um, Whenever I go exercise or run or do whatever sort of exercise, I don't take my phone ever. I try to make sure that, and then also whenever I'm trying to do deep reading, I don't take my phone. Whenever I write, I learned, guess what? I throw my phone in the other room. Um, So that way I don't look at it. When I write, I turn the Wi-Fi off on my computer. Now it's easy to turn it back on, but like that little barrier helps me stay focused And, uh, you know, on something that is important, my general rule of thumb is like, be deliberate on what I'm trying to accomplish and do. If that means having a good conversation at dinner, that means the phone shouldn't be there. If that means connecting with others, the phone shouldn't be there. If that means like doing deep work where I need to be focused, the phone shouldn't be there. If it means sleeping, phone shouldn't be there. Now I'm not perfect, right? Sometimes I violate these things and all that because I'm a human being. I violate them more frequently now that as of this recording, my wife is nine months pregnant. So a call at any time could mean run to the hospital. So like there's instances where it's like, there's not striving for perfection, but I'm trying to create enough constraints and barriers um, so that, I use my phone instead of my phone using me. Yeah. The other thing that I think is really helpful is to, um, to spend just like a minute thinking about the people that you loathe on the internet and why you loathe them and then try not to become that. So for me, like I find it constantly pretty crazy that certain people who do things like study psychology or exercise science or they draw cartoons, they reach a level of popularity and then they become so angry about everything all of the time. And that becomes 
it seems like based on how frequently they're posting on these various websites, that becomes what they do. They just get angry on the internet to elicit a response of their hundreds of thousands or in some cases millions of followers and their existence is just being angry about everything. And what a terrible freaking finish line. So if that's what constant technological use looks like, that's a big enough deterrent for me. It's kind of like those, um, you know, you used to take, or at least I used to take these classes in high school growing up on like, um, on, on not using drugs. And they'd often do the documentary where you go through the prison and you look at people that were in jail for doing drugs, or like you go to the hospital and you look at people that OD'd. And um, in college at University of Michigan, I took a elective, the economics of crime, because it was taught by Professor Paula Malone, one of my favorite teachers. I have no idea if she's still there. This was a lifetime ago. But um, we actually learned that when those kinds of documentaries are done well, that's a fairly effective intervention to bend the needle. Like if they're really visceral and they show you kind of like what we talked about last week, not how good the chase to do drugs feels or the initial hit, but like what you get as a result, that doesn't help people unwind addiction. The power of the the wanting desire is too strong, but it can help people not, you know, do their first hit of heroin or whatever, or, or, or methamphetamine. I'll never forget. We watched a video of someone on methamphetamine basically take their own eyeball out in the shower because it itched so much. And I'll tell you what, I mean, I was never too much of a cowboy, but ever since that video, there is no freaking way I'd go anywhere close to an amphetamine like meth. I always think about that video, not for me. And I think that like going to some of these people who you loathe on the internet and looking at their feeds and then being like, this is like a 63 year old world famous adult and they're spending their life being angry on the internet. This sucks. That's really helpful for me. Oh, I think so too. I mean, I think about it with a lot of different, there's so many, you know, variables, even a lot of rich people, you know, I think of, I stop and pause and I'm like, if I had multiple billion dollars, would I be spending my time getting angry on the internet? Probably not. You know, there's a lot of other things that are really cool, rewarding, and helpful that I could do that are more important. So, you know, that helps frame things as, like, what's worth it. And I think that's also, you know, something interesting that we've had to navigate because both of us were you know, not that big on the internet when we, we met. Um, and we're still not that big, but what happens is this, as your followers, whatever your realm of influences rises, it's almost like the cheap dopamine becomes, uh, more frequent, easier to get and more disastrous if you go down that path. So like a large part of what Brad and I think about now, which might be different from others and why is that like, we think about how not to go down the path where you lose your mind on the internet. And so these safeguards, these constraints are often, you know, to make sure we don't lose our mind. And, and the other thing that I, I should say is, not only, you know, your favorite influencer on the internet, but this is a phenomenon I know our, our friend Derek Thompson has talked about and others is you can tell the the politicians who are always online because their viewpoint of what actually matters is shaped by 
you know, the online narrative. I'll give you an example outside of the politicians, but I can tell you the people who are, I'll just call it online too much or watching new, news TV uh, too much or news too much um, in an education standpoint. So my wife and I live in the suburbs of, of Texas, like, or of Houston. And um, in the school district that is right next to us, so one suburb out it's like deeply conservative school district, blah, blah, blah. And they're run by conservative, you know, school board, all that stuff. And there was like the battle of all battles because like these people were convinced that CRT and, you know, trans stuff, et cetera, was infiltrating at the school district. And you just look at the, the thing and you're just like, hey, guys you're run by a bunch of like conservative school district, blah, 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 et cetera. Like, you know, you're probably the least to worry about this, but it was like the big major problem. Why was it the major problem? Because like they spent too much time online in the news being instilled with fear of like, this is the major issue. This is the thing. Like your kids are being brainwashed, whatever it is. And then you talk to teachers and they're like, we have no idea what's going on. We have no idea why these people are freaking out. We're just trying to teach them how to read and write. Like, this is insanity. But it's because you spend too much time online again. Sorry for going on that slightly political tra- tangent. But the point is, like, you can tell when people's, like, perceptions and, re- and actual real-world reality get misaligned. And part of it is, like, the te- technology pulling you because if, like, all your life is spent scrolling on twitter instagram or tiktok then that becomes the information that your brain constructs reality from not from what happens actually in your schoolrooms or in the classrooms or at you know the whatever local whatever have you it becomes you know what happens on tiktok yeah it made me think that um i'm sure that this will happen in the near future potentially even in 2024 that like the best way to swing an election is probably just to create an army of artificial intelligence accounts that pretend that they're real voters and like go drive a politician to take positions that then gets hundreds of retweets and likes from the artificial intelligence voters. And then in the real world, that person gets destroyed. Um, And I'm sure that that's already happening to an extent. Like, what do I mean that's going to happen? It will probably just get worse. So, um, yeah, I think it's about just being intentional, making sure that you're not too online and um, realizing that these are tools. And in order to use them in a net positive way, you have to be really deliberate and intentional. And you have to really fight a lot of inertia and fight a lot of incentives to use the tools more. And we've spent a fair amount of time, we won't go on much longer, bashing social media, but it's not just social media. It is very serious publications and outlets, many of which we've written for. If you look over the last two decades, you've noticed, anyone will notice, um, what's the right way to say this? An escalation in headlines that are meant to get you to click and capture your attention. So if it bleeds, it leads, right? That's as old as time, back to the original newspapers. You want to be provocative. But what's changed with the internet is now it's not just the headline on the front page of the newspaper because websites show all the headlines, or at least they can. It's every headline for every article. 
And um, I think that you have to ask yourself, like, do I actually want to read this or is this just trying to make me click? Uh, the worst offender, I have no affiliation with them, so I'm happy to say it, is like a Fox News or a CNN or an MSNBC. Um, you go to their websites and like everything's breaking news always, everything's a catastrophe always, everything's a crisis always, and that's just not reality. So don't get your news from those websites. I think a publication that I'm also not affiliated with that does it really well is The Economist. Why don't a lot of people read The Economist? Because it's boring. <laughs> That's a lot of reality. You know, and this is something that you, we've known for a long time ago. I, I forget the name of the, the author who studied it, but he called it Mean World Syndrome, where you watch, this was coined back in the 1960s and 70s, you watch a lot of you know, it bleeds, it leads news. You think the world is really dangerous and threatening. Well, that's amplified, I don't know, a hundredfold now. You think that there's always an existential crisis. Well, your brain is primed to see everything as a threat. And you start living your life there because the information that we consume, you know, that forms our brain's predictions on how the world works and how we should respond to it. So if everything is dangerous and threatening and et cetera, then our brain's going to be primed for anxiety and like seeing threats everywhere. So we do. And that's why people lose their minds. That's right. All right. Well, let's all try not to lose our minds on the internet. Hopefully this conversation has been helpful. We won't go on much longer because we don't want you to lose your mind listening to us. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with your friends, your colleagues, your family. Um, we're always looking to welcome new listeners into these conversations because we feel that the more people that are wrestling with these topics and approaching them from innovative, creative ways, the better for all of us. So spread the love, share the podcast, and um, we hope you like it. We'll catch you next week. Bye.